Welcome to the Legal One podcast, brought to you by Legal One, the leader in school law training in the state of New Jersey. Legal One is part of the NJPSA and FEA family, so we are thrilled to be offering this podcast to you as a way to help you gain a greater understanding of critical legal issues. We want to provide you with convenient, easy access to essential information. Each episode is 30 minutes or less, so it provides a timely way for you to get information. In each episode, we're going to be reviewing critical legal principles based on case law, statute, regulation, or other key guidance. We'll talk about why that issue matters today and how the law has evolved. We'll talk about key steps in working with parents and other critical stakeholders to positively address the issues in question and know how to get a greater level of understanding of these issues. So let's get started. And thank you so much for joining us for the Legal One podcast. Hello and welcome to the Legal One podcast. My name is Sandra Jakes and I am the supervisor of legal research and content development for Legal One. On today's episode, we will be talking about school newspapers and student free speech issues and the most recent statutory requirements regarding student publications. Before we start, I just want to remind everyone that as always, we have our disclaimer that although I am an attorney, this presentation cannot be used or construed as legal advice. I am not your private counsel, nor am I the attorney that represents your school district. You are welcome to use the material in here, but please give Legal One credit if you're going to turnkey this or use this somewhere else. So let's dive right in. We will start by discussing student free speech issues. Any conversation about student journalism has to start with student free speech. So the first place we'll look to are the constitutional requirements. So you have the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, which says that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Then we have Article 1, Section 6 of the New Jersey Constitution, which says every person may freely speak, write, and publish his sentiments on all subjects being responsible for the abuse of that right, and that no law shall be passed to restrain or abridge the liberty of speech or of the press. Part of the confusion that comes with this is that they're talking about a general press, whereas, as you're going to come to see through the course of this podcast, being in a school district, that is a restricted forum. So moving on to the other common standards that you hear talked about is Tinker. We cannot discuss free speech without discussing the Tinker case. This was where the young lady wanted to wear black armbands to protest the Vietnam War. School said no, passed a policy saying you can't do that. She and her friends did it anyways. They got suspended. She filed a lawsuit that went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. And ultimately, they sided in favor of the students because the school did not show that wearing these armbands caused a substantial disruption. It has to be more than a minor inconvenience or an irritation, or I don't like that, or I don't agree with it. You have to show the actual problem. So the Tinker case is mentioned in any discussion of student free speech. It is very broad and very vague as it's meant to be. The students do have a good deal of free speech rights, and they certainly have far more than staff do. The things that are not protected, you have threats of violence, you have promoting illegal drugs, the infamous bong hits for Jesus case up in Alaska that was decided by the U.S. Supreme Court in 2007. Kids unfurled a banner across the street saying bong hits for Jesus. Principal went out and took it down. The kids sued for a violation of their free speech rights. The U.S. Supreme Court held that the principal had the right to do it because they can't promote illegal drugs. After Morse, we have the Bethel case, which says that a student cannot use lewd and vulgar language in school. That's from a 1986 case. And then we have, as an example, the Dunkley case from the New Jersey Supreme Court in 2016. This was a situation where 
the young man while he was at home, he was making fun of a classmate online saying that, uh, if I remember correctly, she had teeth like a can opener. She was very bothered by it. So the distinguishing characteristic was her facial features and the substantial disruption was that she was upset. She didn't want to be around this kid, things along those lines. So if you have a confirmed HIV, you've already confirmed as a substantial disruption. So you've nullified any free speech rights. So turning to the cases that are specifically about journalism in the high school. And the first one goes back to 1988. It's the Hazelwood School District versus Kohlmeyer. For those of you that like to look these cases up, it's 484 U.S. 260, 1988. And you'll note that this is after the Tinker case and the Bethel case, the one for lewd language was decided, but it's before the Dunkley case, the Hib one, and the Morse case, the Bong Hits for Jesus case. So in the Hazelwood case, students in a high school journalism class wrote papers about teen pregnancy and the impact of divorce. They published these articles in the school newspaper, and then the principal deleted the pages with these stories without telling the students. The students appealed, claiming a violation of their free speech rights. In a 5-3 ruling in favor of the school district, the Supreme Court of the United States said that the principal's actions did not violate the students' rights. The Supreme Court went on to explain that a school newspaper is a school-sponsored publication. It is not a quote-unquote public forum where all could express their views. It is a, a quote from the Supreme Court, a limited forum for journalism students to write articles subject to school editing that met the requirements of their journalism to class, unquote. So in this case, the Supreme Court said that the school district had a legitimate interest in preventing the publication of articles that it deemed inappropriate. Moving forward to the Desilet versus Clearview Regional Board of Education case, this was decided by the New Jersey Supreme Court in 1994. Again, for those of you that like the sites, it's 137NJ585-1994. Back in January of 1989, students submitted movie reviews of two R-rated films. They were Mississippi Burning and Rain Man for publication in the school newspaper. The school principal prevented the reviews from being published because the movies were R-rated. So the principal did not have a trouble with what they actually wrote. It was just that they were publishing something about an R-rated movie. And to see an R-rated movie, you were supposed to be 18, which would not be the student population. The students filed a lawsuit claiming that the district's censorship had violated the students' rights. In 1994, the New Jersey Supreme Court found for the student and they said that the school district had not violated the precedent set by the Hazelwood case, but the censorship had violated the students' rights under the state constitution, which it found provided broader protection of free expression than the First Amendment. So the analysis they put forward was, just as was decided in Hazelwood, a school newspaper is not a public forum, and therefore the speech in a non-public forum may be subject to reasonable restrictions problem always comes with how do you define reasonable restrictions? They don't give you an exact, this is good, this is bad type of thing. So you have to make sure you're being consistent across the boards. Then the New Jersey Supreme Court explained the reason that they found for the students. And they said that there needs to be an established and legitimate educational policy in place. To take the legalese out of that, there needs to be a consistent policy so the kids know what they can publish and what they cannot publish. And in this case, the district did not have a consistent policy related to the pedagogical concerns. So in this circumstance, censorship was not warranted. So moving from the Desilet case, we go into the new statute that's applicable for the 2022-2023 school year, also known as the New Voices Act. We are the 15th state to pass the New Voices Act, and there have been attempts since 2015 to try to pass something to clarify student journalism laws, but we now have this with the New Voices Law. And it does seem to help clarify that 1998 Hazelwood case 
and what they mean by what can be edited and what can be censored. So the student journalism law, it's public law 2021, chapter 309. What it says is by the start of the 2022-23 school year, all school districts must adopt a policy on student freedom of expression. Now, in case you haven't done this yet or you're not sure whether or not your district has done this, you can look to see if you have the policy. The way do you find out if you have a particular policy or not is you go to your district's website, then you look under Board of Education, and then you find the section there that says regulations or policies or some synonym of regulations and policies. And you click on that, and most of the districts have it outlined as staff policies and student policies. So you would click on student policies, and then you would scroll down. And if you're using Strauss-Esme, the policy number would be 5722. So you're going to look up the policy under 5722. If you can't find it in your district's policies or you're not sure you have it or you want to see what the language is supposed to be, you can take a look at Kingsway Regional School District's policy. They have it in their policy. And again, you go to their Board of Ed page, you look under policies and regulations, you look under students and you scroll down to 5722 and you'll find it there. So the statute went on to say that a policy may include limitations on language that is profane, harassing, intimidating, or bullying. So this is consistent with the prior case law that I've already told you about. This law also establishes that student journalists shall be responsible for determining the news, opinion, feature, and advertising content of school-sponsored publications subject to certain limitations. So there is the catch. There's always an exception to the rule, and subject to certain limitations is the exception with this particular rule. The law goes on to say that school officials may not engage in prior restraint of student journalism unless it, number one, is libelous or slanderous, number two, constitutes an unwarranted invasion of privacy. And what that's going to mean is, you know, you can't have the kids hiding behind the doors overhearing conversations or things along those lines or delving into someone's personal life. This is not the type of newspaper that is the New York Times or whatever your local paper is. This is a school-sponsored paper is profane or obscene is another thing that they can't do, violates federal or state law, or so incites students as to create a clear and present danger of the commission of an unlawful act, the violation of school district policies, or the material and substantial disruption of the orderly operation of the school. To take the legalese out of that, it can't cause a problem for the school. And the inciting an act would be the type of thing. We've had a number of unfortunate instances in the public where the kids in schools then want to do a rally or they want to do a walkout in support of something. And they cannot publicize that in the school newspaper because that would be in violation of school safety issues. You can't encourage kids to walk out to support or to protest gun issues, as an example, if it's not a school-sponsored event. They can't say we should all do this or write an editorial trying to incite people to get them to do that. The law finally goes on to say that any prior restraint must identify specific reasons for the restraint based on the five things that I listed in this law. So the things that you want to do is you need to understand that the district must set the parameters and you want to make sure your policy not only includes what the law requires, but definitions and the fact that, say, the superintendent or their designee will determine reasonable provisions for the time, place, and manner of student expression for purposes of school-sponsored media. And you want to make sure you're using school-sponsored media. You don't want to just say the school newspaper, because what if there are blogs or blogs or whatever other method under the school topic that they're putting themselves out as, you want to make sure it's covered, that the school has control over this. You're only doing it as a school-sponsored event. So you want to include definitions such as prior restraint, 
where it says a school official informing a student journalist, the news, opinion, feature, and advertising content of school-sponsored media subject to the restrictions listed in statute and the provisions of this policy cannot be published in school-sponsored media or a school official takes any action to prevent a student from doing so. So that follows with the law that I read to you. Then you have a prior review, which will talk about how a school official can review school-sponsored media before it is published or broadcast by a student journalist at school or distributed or generally made available to members of the student body. So if you have kids that read the announcements in the morning or you have a radio station with your school, you have the right to see what's going to be on there. School official means the principal or designee or any administrative staff member designated by the superintendent. They're the ones that are going to be watching over and making sure everything is in line with what the school can publish and promote. School-sponsored media, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, where you want to make sure everything is covered. So something with a definition along the lines of any material that is prepared, substantially written, published, or broadcast by a student journalist at school, distributed or generally made available to members of the student body, and prepared under the direction of a student media advisor. The law does not cover media intended for distribution or transmission solely in the classroom in which the media is produced. So if a kid writes a presentation for a classroom assignment, that is not something covered under the this particular uh, new voice regulation that came out from the state. That's a different entity altogether. That's not the school-sponsored media that they're talking about. Then you'll look to what is a student journalist. It means a student who gathers, compiles, writes, edits, photographs, records, or prepares information for dissemination in school-sponsored media. As I mentioned earlier, not just a newspaper, but perhaps a blog, a blog on the radio. And I will point out that it says photograph, someone that takes the pictures. So you have control over what does get published and what doesn't. If a student chooses to take dramatic artistic license with how they're going to photograph something, and you can match under one of those five subcategories that I mentioned earlier, that this is not appropriate for a school newspaper, you would have the ability to say, no, that's not going to get published. Also, you want to have a definition of a student media advisor, which means an individual employed, appointed, or designated by the district to supervise or provide instruction relating to school-sponsored media. The other things you want to have in your policy are the process for appeal. If the school exercises restraint and says, no, you can't publish that, you can't do that, how does the student appeal? Um, you can have a possibility of that all appeals go directly to the superintendent or their designee, so the superintendent could say that a particular principal or vice principal or someone else handles it that the restraint of student expression is unnecessary. And then the appeal, if they have to be, you would pick a time frame to submit this. So five school days or however long you want to put in there that once you've gotten the ruling that no, you can't publish this, that you only have so many days to get the appeal into the superintendent to have it overruled. And that the appeal must include a copy of the written determination and the reasons why the student journalist believes the limitation is not appropriate. So basically, they have to make their case. It can't just be one of those, well, that's not fair. I have a free speech right. That is not a reason. That is their emotional feeling about it. They actually have to put why it doesn't fall under one of the categories that the school articulated. This is the reason we're banning it. Because remember, the school can't just say, I don't like it. We're not publishing it. They have to give the specific reason why they're not going to publish it. Then the superintendent or board of ed will have to have a response to the student appeal. So they can give the student the opportunity to present their appeal in person. So they're going to do the written appeal and maybe they'll make a pitch as to why they think it should be or shouldn't be allowed. Then the superintendent or the designee has to make a determination and you have to pick a reasonable amount of time, maybe five days or such, to render your decision and let the kids know because that paper does need to get published. 
If the students don't like the decision of the superintendent or the designee, they can appeal to the Board of Ed. You want to say that that has to be in writing. And then the Board of Ed will make a decision on the appeal at the first regular board meeting after receiving the written appeal or within 10 school days after receiving the written appeal. You want to have something in there of a definitive process as to how we're going to go through this. Additionally, when you put the policy in your regulations, you want to discuss potential discipline for violation of this new policy. And you would note that a student journalist that violates a provision of this policy may be subject to appropriate discipline. Again, that's one of those vague categories, but it is helpful from the district's perspective to have it that way now, because that gives you the opportunity to impose a wide range of discipline depending upon what the infraction is or what you can negotiate. Maybe they won't be able to publish exactly what they want, but if they tone it down a little bit, they can still publish it and that may not subject them to discipline or something along those lines. Or if they go ahead and sneak it in and publish it anyways, they could be disciplined because of that. The school district shall not sanction a student operating as an independent journalist. So if you have a situation where they run their own paper that has nothing to do with the school, that does not qualify as a school-sponsored event. I would say that you still may have an argument under Levy, the cheerleader case, or the other off-school grounds cases where if you can show whatever happened or whatever they published in their private publication caused a substantial disruption in the school, you still may have something you can do there, but it's not written in stone. It goes back to that subjective analysis of did it really cause a problem or do we just not like it? Then you should have something addressing the staff member who is the advisor of the group. And you would have something along the lines of they shall not be dismissed, suspended, disciplined, reassigned, transferred, or otherwise retaliated against solely for acting to protect a student engaged in the conduct authorized under state law and this policy or refusing to infringe upon conduct that is protected by this policy, the First Amendment to the United States Constitution or paragraph six of Article One of the New Jersey Constitution. Now, as you recall, I started off discussing the laws of, the, of this particular issue by citing to the Constitution of both the United States and the state of New Jersey. So basically what this is saying here is that if a staff member sticks up for a student or says, I think this should be published, take a second look, that type of thing, they're not going to be disciplined for, or they're not going to be retaliated against. You know, there are ways of disciplining without formally disciplining, where if someone brought something to your case and they made a pitch for the student, and then after that, they don't get reappointed as the advisor for the journalism class the following year, or something else happens to them that it's not formally put under because you sided with the student, we're, we're harming you in some way. So you have to be very careful of that. So that is an overall summary of the new voices legislation that now must be part of your school policies. Hopefully this has been helpful in helping you realize that number one, a new law exists, and number two, that you must incorporate it into your policy and the things to make sure that you include in the policy. As I said, Strauss Esme seems to have a policy on this in the one that I cited for the Kingsway Regional School District. And you have a lot of information about what happens and the restrictions you want to put in there. It's basically the kids need to know up front what they can and cannot do. And so this is putting fail-safes in there. And it's also putting fail-safes in for the protection of both the students and the staff in case they do something that perhaps the administration doesn't like. The administration has to be able to justify in writing why they don't like it and specifically articulate why it's not just that we don't like it or it hurts our feelings or we find it offensive. Here are one of those five categories that we think it might violate, and that's why you can't do that. And then it volleys back to the student to put forth an argument as to, but I think you're wrong, and here are the reasons I think you're wrong. So in effect, it's giving due process to the students and the members of the school newspaper staff that are trying to put out a publication. 
So with that, I will say thank you very much for joining me on this podcast. Hopefully you found it informative. If you would like any more information, you're welcome to reach out to either Legal One or you can contact me directly. My email address is sjakes at njpsa.org. So that's S as in Sandra, J-A-C-Q-U-E-S at njpsa.org. And I look forward to seeing you in the next podcast. Thanks and have a great day. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like more information on the topics we covered, a full list of episodes, or a preview of upcoming topics, please visit our website at www.njpsa.org legal1nj.